0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, weekly Daff. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a daff or so. Here we are in the week before Pesach, the week of Pesach cleaning, the week of preparation, the week of anticipation, and a little bit of the remembrance of the dread, the courage that it took to set aside the Passover sacrifice in anticipation of leaving Egypt but knowing also that the Passover sacrifice signaled that they were going to leave Egypt and standing up to the oppressor but also at the same time that being inviting more violence and oppression perhaps. So that's where we are. We are in that remembering that space thank God for many of us it is a much more pacific space but for others it is not We're holding our AAPI siblings who suffered a horrible blow this past week, a mass murder in and around Atlanta, Georgia. We're holding Women, Violence Against Women Act, supposed to protect them. But the only thing that will protect us is us. Solidarity is rethinking security rethinking safety, rethinking society so that we understand that we have to have each other's backs as we leave Egypt that is why the evil child who says who are you to be here tonight what did you do to deserve this you're not pious enough, you're not religious enough ends up being by himself and the the author of the Haggadah says that we say him, based on the Midrash we say to him, shut up Hakeya Chinab, shut up Sit down. Because if you were in Egypt, you know what would have happened? The Israelites would have been marching to liberation, and you would have been saying, "Ah, I'm not going to walk with these people. Look who these people are. They're a bunch of losers. They're a bunch of. I I am so much better than them. And then he would have been left alone. He would not have been liberated because of that. The movement, they say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with. Community. So this week we hold all that together. The pain, suffering, the promise of liberation, the cleaning for Pesach. off. Okay, and we are starting on 59b. 59b. In the middle of 59b, we have a there's a lot to do this week because we're gonna finish the pack. Yay! But 59B in the layout that was, of course, typeset and popularized and published in Vilna by the widow and brothers Ram Lothies 150 years ago at the Mishnah. A person should not open windows in his wall, the wall of his house, into a courtyard owned by partners. Now, there's a courtyard in which there are many partners in the courtyard. Around the same courtyard, many different people have houses that lead out into the courtyard. If a person buys a house in another courtyard, then he should not open up his house to the courtyard that belongs to partner partnered courtyard. Right? And the Gemara will say, why? What difference does it make? Shutafin, why partners, why not just anybody? Why not just into a private courtyard? We'll talk about that in the Gemara. B'na' aliyah al gabe lo al shutafin. If he built a second story on his house, he should not open that story into the partner courtyard. And this has to do with the two reasons that are here, the two justifications for these laws are, one, is privacy, and two, is actually causing more foot traffic in the courtyard, and therefore... Causing people who actually live in the courtyard to uh, to take a longer time to get home, or being impinged by the extra foot traffic in their courtyard. If person opens his builds a second floor and lets all the people go through his courtyard, or has another entrance into the partner the courtyard that is owned in partnership. So if he buy if he builds a second story on his house, he should not open it into the partner courtyard. Courtyard, the joint courtyard. That's a better word in the English language. But if he wants to, he could build an extra room inside his house, which just opens up into his house and not into the courtyard. Or he can build a second story on his house in such a way that it also just opens up into his house and not into the The courtyard. Okay, so we're going to go through, we're going to take a look at the Gemara and then we're going to talk a little bit about this notion of privacy rights versus the fact that you have, that, that you force somebody in the language of the Gemara to take a longer way home. Sounds like a folk song. All right. So why does the Mishnah teach us that you're not allowed to open your windows into... A joint courtyard. Why not also a uh, just a, somebody else's courtyard? A, a courtyard which isn't a joint courtyard. Why can't? Why should? Why doesn't it say why, Just somebody's courtyard. So the Gemara says lama kamar. So it's a type of rhetorical statement that it's of course this and then that. It's, it's obvious, so he doesn't even need to say, he doesn't even need to say that he can't open up into his fellow's courtyard, a singularly owned courtyard that is forbidden, but opening up into the joint courtyard, that he would say to them, that he would say to them, what difference does it make to you? You would have to, in any way be modest or, or from me when you are in the courtyard because we are already part of a joint courtyard so therefore I could see you, you could see me. Kamash Milan Da Marle. So we we what we learn from here is that they could say to him, Adhaidana or the other partner can say to him, Ad Haidana up until now, and there's two ways to two, two ways to, to explain this. Up until now in the courtyard, I had to protect myself, be modest from you. I had to hide myself from you. The Aramaic it's Tanui it doesn't tra- it doesn't translate directly into the in English. It would be I would have to modest myself, right I'd have to hide myself. I'd have to be act in a modest way or, or whatever. In that sense, now I even have to do that in the house. So there are two ways of understanding it. And the Rishonim one is that beforehand, when I was outside in the courtyard, so I knew you had a door. And so through the door, you could see me do what I had to do in the courtyard. So I had to do that in a, in a way, uh, in, I had to take care that you weren't looking through the door or that I was doing things I didn't care that So I me. But when I went into my house and I was okay, I could do whatever I want. But now that you have windows in your your house, they are higher up, and therefore, even from inside your house, when I'm inside my house, you could see into my house from your windows because they are higher up, and something to that effect. And 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 I don't know that you're looking, so I am. I have to take care. I have to be wary, even inside my house, to be modest in a way that I didn't have to before. The other way is to say that. Mela, when you, when I was in the courtyard, right? So when I was in the courtyard, I didn't have to see you. Now I have to worry about seeing you even when I'm in my house because you have windows. And so therefore that is the, so that, that is the issue. So the, the issue is an issue of privacy. And the question is whether it goes, which way it goes. Okay. So we'll talk about the whole privacy. What is at stake in privacy? What, what is it? Is it just simply modesty? Or is there something else? And we'll talk about that in a minute. So it happened that there was a person who opened up windows into a joint courtyard. So he came before Rabbi Shmuel bar So Rabbi Shmuel bar said, you know what, you have a chazaka. Because here, if the person didn't, if you open a window into a joint courtyard, and the other person sees that you're doing it and doesn't immediately object, that's the svar, that's the theory, then it's considered as if uh, you did it with permission. So therefore, you have uh, a claim to keep it there. <speaking in Hebrew> so then he went before Chia, another Eretz Tana, Palestinian Tana. Chia <speaking in Hebrew> actually has another approach. He said, you know what? You went to the trouble of... Opening it, so now go to the trouble of closing the windows. So therefore, Rabbi Chia is saying, no, that's not considered, just because you did it, it's not considered an immediate chazakah if the other partner in the courtyard does not immediately object. Rav Nachman says about this, that actually if I have a window that opens into the joint courtyard and then you come along and you build something right in front of it so that the window doesn't work, Rav Nachman says, if I don't immediately object, that's considered an immediate chazaka, an immediate claim for ownership. Why? Because a person would not allow somebody else to block his window, to block out the light and be quiet. So if the person was quiet, therefore it is a signal of acquiescence. If a person buys a house in another courtyard, back to the Mishnah, you should not open the house let create a doorway of the house into the joint courtyard. So, apparently, a person who lives also in the joint courtyard. My time, why? Because he increases the foot traffic in the joint courtyard. So, therefore, it's harder for people who live in that courtyard, who have houses in that courtyard, to to get around. So, he increases their, he, he forces them to lose time. He increases their annoyance. Ama So, let's, what is, let us read the end of that. Of the Mishnah, but if he wants, he could build a room inside his house and build a second story inside of his house, right? That says in the Mishnah, so he says, but does that not also make the you know add foot traffic? Does not it also make him take him longer to get home for the in other words, the other partners in the joint courtyard? So he says, what is a cheder? It means just that he didn't add anything on. He just took one room and divided it two. And what is a loft? It's a loft. <laughs> it's a 2nd story, So it's an inside, an inner floor. that's kind of like a, a duplex in a certain way. So it's not adding anything on the outside. It's just adding on the inside. Okay. So a couple of things that come up here. The question is, what is the what is Hezekria, Right, we talk here about the fact that there is that one of the theories, one of the reasons for the fact that you can or cannot open up, and we're gonna, the Gemara is going to talk about this a little further on. A little introduction here. One of the reasons you can or cannot open up the windows or the doors is because of Hezekiah which is literally literally the damage of sight or privacy issues. Perhaps it seems to be that at, at base it's a modesty issue in the sense that. I don't want somebody to see me doing stuff, but it's larger than just than our modesty issue. And that is not just about seeing someone naked or engaged in prurient or scatological activities, but merely seeing what they're doing. There's a political element here or kind of a once removed political element. And I just want to read a little bit from Amy Russell's great book, The Politics of Public Space in Republican Rome. And she writes about private space. The important shift occurred not in Rome, but in the Greek-speaking world. By the time they appeared in Rome, forms, there are certain architectural forms. Not only formed the architecture of the Hellenistic palace, a space harder than most to pin down as either public or private. And that's actually important. People know there's a wonderful, at the Getty Museum here in Los Angeles, there is a restored Roman palace from Pompeii in which you can see the private which is public and the public which is private which is based, which in which on which type of construction i think the uh, tosefta to the first mishnah and Shabbat bases its notion of karmelit and Yechid and mishuta rabim in that there are spaces which are fluid between public and private it's not that it bases on it but it's that kind of reality of inside outside and, and the fluidity of inside and outside So Amy Russell writes, A palace is simultaneously the king's private domain and the space of public and political life. As my investigations in public space later in the book will show, Roman patrons found that allusion to the Hellenistic world of monarchs living in unimaginable luxury between public and private was particularly successful in creating space which they could manipulate to their own ends. Features like screens of columns in private houses were doing far more than referencing public architecture, and it would be just as fair to say that their public equivalents reference their domestic popularity. Space, which was neither entirely public nor entirely private, was not confined to the house, but extended into non-domestic space as well. She goes on, and later on she talks about some of these architectural elements, is that where, you know, you could see into the house, so does that make that part that you can see, like the living room, the triclinium, a public space, but you couldn't see into the bedroom, so where does public... And private, and so those are the questions that come up with. So that that's part of the background or the context for these questions of privacy. Right? What is supposed to be private? Is eating private? Right? Is sex private? Is going to the bathroom private? Where does the line? Where is the line drawn? And that line is sometimes drawn in these, and it's in in these palaces. It's drawn. It's much easier to see because it's drawn on the largest scale possible. But then those same issues come down to your average, you know, one family, one room by it, which, is, you know, house, which is which which abuts a, a courtyard and it's a joint courtyard. And then what do you want that is private and what is public? Because the courtyard already, it's joint courtyard. So it's semi-public. Right. And then. If you open a a door on that to the public domain, so then it becomes more public. And the rela- and so, is it an issue of it's nobody's business what I'm doing in my courtyard? If I want to keep my my set of Legos here, if I want to keep my donkey here, if I want to whatever it was, if I want to run around naked in my courtyard, right? But if it's a joint courtyard already, so then the, there's a certain impingement on my ability to do stuff. And then the question is, if I put windows in, if you put windows in, can you? Do you have more access if you put windows into a private courtyard to get light? But then again, I have to be worried about you seeing me. So there is an issue of of privacy in that sense. And that that issue is is also reflected in the same type of fluidity between there's private domain and public domain. But in between private domain and public domain, when we're talking about Shabbat law. There's Private domain, which is in private, and public domain, which is in public. And this somewhat parallels the notion there's a mevoire, which is kind of a, a joint walkway, which leads into a number of houses, but is not totally public. There is, you know, the the uh, notion of the carmelite, um, which is outside, like a, a a an untended orchard or a valley where, where everybody can go, you know, theoretically, but... You, you can't really walk through there. So it's public, but not public. So all those issues come together with this, together with this issue of Hezek Re'iyah, which seems to be just a concern starting with modesty, but my business is my business. And that's where it overlaps to some extent with contemporary concerns of privacy, though contemporary concerns also have to do with ownership of certain things that are private, like my social security number, or credit card numbers, stuff like that, but also like health insurance, health information, which I own, but, and actually have an economic value. So that's taken another step further, but let's say they had no economic value. So that's also, that is the line in which we're walking on, on what is my right to protect my privacy and how much down that lane can I stop you from doing X, Y, or Z? I mean, can I stop you from opening up a, from building a window into your wall because you want light, but I don't want you to be able to see what I am doing. So that's the background here, the background of this, these whole, this whole concern for Hezekiah Okay, so now we're up to the next Mishnah. And we're going to come back to this Hezekriah further on. A person should not open, right, create in a joint courtyard, a kind of a, a doorway, which is opposite a doorway and a window opposite a window for privacy reasons, right? If I if my doorway, if my door is opposite your door, so I can look right into your house. If my door is opposite your wall, so I can look right into your house, it's easier for you to be private. If it if there is one if there is a small doorway should not make it larger, and if there is one he should not make it into two doorways. Okay. Well, uh, the reason for that is not totally clear here, but it will be clear further on. It has to do with the fact that that we learned in the in earlier sugya that a, every person in a joint courtyard gets four amot, four cubits, like six feet, let's say in front of their doorway. So if you have a small doorway, so then if it's less than four cubits, and then you make it larger so that it's eight cubits, then you get more, you can make a claim to more space in the courtyard. But you're allowed to put a doorway into the public domain, even if it's opposite another doorway across the way in the public domain, and also windows, because there, the theory is that it's the public domain. So people are going to walk by and look inside anyway. So there is, so you've lost your right to privacy there. If it was a small doorway, you can make it bigger back in the courtyard, and if it's one, you can make it into two so the Gemara starts interrogating this Mishnah. what are we talking about? So where, what is the basis for this? So Rabbi Yochanan says because it says in a verse, right? In Bamidbar, when Balak the king called or hired Bilam to Curse Israel as they were coming out, and God didn't let Bilam curse Israel. And at the end, when his final and the climax, when he finally is going to give them the, the, the curse and ended up with the blessing of Matovu olecha Yisrael, how great are your tents, Israel. Um, he starts with Bilam raised his eyes and he saw Israel residing according to their tribes. So what is it that he saw that so amazed him? What he saw was that the the doorways of their tents, the openings of their tents, were not opposite each other, so that they couldn't see into each other's tents. He said, oh, you know what? These people it is worth, are worthy of having the divine presence reside amongst them because of their attention to the issues of privacy. All right. If it was a small opening, you shouldn't make it larger. So Rami Rami chama his theory is, If it's four Amot wide, he should not make it eight Amot wide. Why? Because then he can take eight Amot from the Chatser, from the courtyard. arba Shapir Dami. But if it's only two amot wide, then he's allowed to make it four amot wide. That's okay because everybody gets four amot in the chaser. Amarle Rava Rava replied to him. So he says we could say to him that in a smaller doorway. I can hide myself from you. In a larger doorway, I can't hide myself from you. So therefore, you should not make it larger, even if it's two to four, right? Because then you're, once again, impinging on my privacy rights. All right. So if he has one doorway, you shouldn't make it two. So Rami Barakama says that this means if you have one that is four amot, wide, you should not make it into two that are four Amot wide. Right, So you shouldn't, because if you have, and if you have one, if you have two, then you can leave them as two, but because if you have two that are four Amot wide, you get eight Amot in the chatzer, which is more than you should get. In other words, you're impinging on somebody else's, not their privacy rights, but their rights to the joint courtyard. But if you have one that is eight, you can make it into four because four is okay. Four is four is good. Rava says you don't have to go through all the math, just like we said before. When you're making more than one doorway, it's a privacy issue. One doorway. So I know where you are, and then I could when I'm around in the courtyard and I know that you're in your house, so then I could hide myself from you or hide what I'm doing from you. But when it's two, so then I can't hide myself from you. Ava finishing off the Mishnah, the comment on the Mishnah, Rabim, Petach Petach. So but he is allowed to open his doorway into the public domain even if it's, his doorway is opposite, immediately opposite, exactly opposite, a doorway across the public domain, because Dhamer Lai Sof he says to him, in the end of the day, uh, if you wanted to, you should have been modest from the but you have a doorway, so therefore, I'm not your problem. The problem is all the people that are walking on the street between me and you. Okay, next Mishnah. Now we're cooking with solar. You're not allowed to dig a space, an empty space under Rishut HaRabim, under the public domain, whether it is for cisterns or other types of water catcher, water holders. We've seen these before. The Borot Shikhin and Marot. They're length, lengthy, or 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 wider. Rebelezer says, Rebelezer says it's okay. He permits it as long as a wagon, which is filled up with stones, can ride over it and not fall through, and it won't collapse. Mishnah continues. We'll talk about what's the reasons there. The Mishnah continues. A person is not allowed to... Build protrusions into the public domain, right? We had these these are like balconies. We had zizin last week. Unless unless he wants, he can move his house or his wall further into his own property and then build a protrusion onto the outside. But if he bought a courtyard and there are already protrusions or balconies, then he, the, this is already in his ownership and it's okay. You can't force him to stop. So now here we're talking about, we're moving to the relationship between a private person and a public domain, as opposed to relationships in a joint courtyard between two private people or a person in another private courtyard. But um, here we're talking about the public and what is the public? Okay, Rabbanan. And the rabbis, what do they say? What does the first voice in the Mishnah mean? Zimnin demavchit So the sages are looking forward and they're saying that perhaps in the future, the ground will be weakened and then it'll collapse. So the person who's building the, uh, the cistern underground has to take that into account. Now, this brings up in my in my mind, um, perhaps somewhat associatively, the Gumara in Babakama, interesting Gemara in Babakama, ba- Baba which says uh, based on the it's uh, commenting on the mission Sakel Adam So this is somewhat similar. A person is not allowed to throw rocks, should not throw rocks from his domain into the public domain. This is on 50 um, B in Babacama. It happened that a person uh, was throwing rocks from clearing rocks from his domain into the public domain. Umitzao and a chasid found him. So chasid is, you know, kind of a person who who is supererogatory, a person who goes beyond the letter of the law. Amarlo reika, he said to him. You empty one. In other words, idiot. Why are you clearing rocks from a domain which is not yours to a domain which is, which is yours? So the guy, the owner of the private domain, made fun of him, laughed at him. Goes, what are you talking about from a domain which is not mine to a domain which is mine? I own this domain and I'm throwing it out as a domain that nobody owns after a while, he was forced to sell his field. The field that he had cleared of rocks. And he was walking in that public domain and he tripped over those rocks that he had thrown out into the public domain. Amar So then he said, probably to himself, that what that chassid said was correct. Why are you throwing rocks Clearing rocks from your field into that other from a field that doesn't belong to you to a field that does belong to you because ultimately the rishut harabim is the only field that does belong to you seemingly um, because it is common land so this raises the question of the commons so here we have uh, uh you know this so this is this seems to be part of the question of what is the relationship between the rishut harabim who are the rabim and the Achid, right? what is the public domain? And these are questions which we've been asking for a while. It could be that, that which is held in common, that, that which belongs to everybody. But in that sense, everybody has some sort of ownership stake in the land. Everybody has access to that land. So that's the difference between ownership and access, right? So the Rabbim, we'll see in a minute, that the, the, the public can protest against somebody putting, zustra, putting Zizim, putting protrusions into the Rishat Rabbim but cannot be mochel, but cannot say, oh, no, it's okay if you do that because you can't get all of the rabim together. So who is the rabim? On the other hand, right, who has access to the rabim? It seems everybody has access to the rabim. On the other hand, the, what does access mean? Does it mean putting rocks into the, the rabim? Does it mean rocks putting rocks into the, the public property? Does it mean digging under the public property? What kind of access or ownership? And who gets to regulate, right? Who gets to regulate that land. This week's podcast is brought to you by the OMG It's Pesach Alarm. Did you ever get that feeling that Pesach was just around the corner and you hadn't bought enough, you hadn't cleaned enough, you hadn't prepared enough? Then you woke up and realized that Pesach was just around the corner and you hadn't bought enough, you hadn't cleaned enough, and you hadn't prepared enough. congratulations. You have the OMG is Pesach alarm. It rings once a year, too early, and doesn't stop till you start this Seder. And best of all, it's free. Therapy not included. Intergenerational trauma, a definite possibility. So we'll continue back in Bavabacha Ain Motzin Zizin Exustrot on interrogating the Mishnah, one is not allowed to build protrusions like um, and and uh, balconies out over the street robbery. Ribi Ami so Ribi Ami, who was a Palestinian Amorah, built, had a a protrusion that went into a mavo, right? And mavo was not a Mivo mavo is are are like alleyways, but they're semi-private. They only lead into a certain number of houses and they're not open completely to the public. But how Gavra Nammi Ziza Davi Mafik? The Rabim. and there was another guy who also had a protrusion some type of protrusion which went out into the public domain Havakum of so those folks who were in the Shutrabem the masses the public wanted to stop him from from building that and said no take that down. so they came before Rabiami I'm ael coatates and Rabiami Rabi said to him yeah they're right cut it down. Amarle, smart guy, see he said to Rabbi Ami, Don't you also have a protrusion which goes out from your property into the property of the Mavo? So Amarle, and most of the, in a lot of the Girsot, they add their Amarle, which is good for the flow and the rhythm. Amarle, didi le Mavoa, my mafic. Mine, my protrusion goes out into the mavoi. Right, not into the public domain, but into the semi-private domain. And the other people who live in the Mavo forgave me. In other words, they, they allowed me to do this. Yours goes out into the public domain. So who is going to allow you to do it? There's nobody to allow that, right? to literally to forgive that, but in other words, to forgive their ownership on it. Who is, brings raise the question that we just raised before, who is the rabim who can say, yeah, it's okay, right? Rebyanai, moving on to another Palestinian Amara, first-generation Palestinian amora, Havalei Ilan Hanotel Rabim had a tree in his yard, which uh, bent over, grew over into the Rishut Rabim the public domain. There was another guy who also had the same situation where he had a tree in his yard that went over into the public domain. And so the uh, the members of the people of the public, the masses, tried to stop him, said, you know, get that out of the Rashid Rabin, cut it off, do something, move it. Pick it up, move it. So it came before Rabbi Yana, The case. So he said, "You know what? I can't rule right now. Come back tomorrow." So at night he went out and he he uh, or he sent Shadar. He sent a, his his agent. He sent somebody to cut his own tree from on top of the Rishon Rabbi. The next day, the other guy came before Rabi Anayi. Rabi said to him, cut it down. So he said, again, a smarty pants, don't you also have a tree that leans over into Shud Rabim? He said to him, go look. If mine is cut, yours is cut, yours. cut yours. So if if mine is not cut, then you should don't have to cut yours either. So then the Stam asks all the obvious questions. Meikara, my sabah, livsaf, my So what was Rabbi, Rabbi thinking before the guy came before him, where he already had this tree which was growing over into Shutrabim? And then what did he change his mind to think afterwards? Meikara, sabah, nicha lebnei diatvi So in the beginning he thought, you know what? The, the the people who go, use the Rosh the masses, the public, um, it's okay for them. They like it. It is, it is convenient for them because they can sit in the shade of the tree. So when he saw that, actually, you know what? My assumption about the public, which is the only thing that can be, it can only be an assumption about the whole public, is just an assumption and it's wrong. And therefore, when they he saw that they wanted to stop the other guy from having his tree there, so then he sent to cut his own tree. So why didn't he say to the guy who came before him, to Dean, you know, you cut yours and then I will cut mine. Because of the principle that reish has, the reish is interpreting a verse from Mishle, hit kosheshu koshu. The phrase, which is completely taken out of context and doesn't actually uh, relate to the context, is just playing off of the fact that it's hit kosheshu va koshu. It's a two forms of the verb koshesh, and one of them is reflexive, and the other is kal or uh, you know transitive. So hit kosheshu, gather yourself va koshu, and gather others. So it's because of the fact you have a reflexive and then a transitive verb. R- Rishlech is just saying, using it, and because of the phonetic similarity to the word kshot. Kshot atzmacha kshot So you should uh, adorn yourself and then adorn others. And meaning here, you should take care of your own righteousness before you judge other people's righteousness. So that's why Rabianai, uh uh said that, first said, you know, come back tomorrow. And then at night he went and he cut his tree because he knew that he had to be righteous first before he was demanding righteousness of others. Okay, side point, but this Midrash here attributed to Reish Lakish is the Bavli version. In the Palestinian version, which is very similar, it's attributed to Rabbi Ashia. Both are Palestinian sages, but Rabbi Ashia is third generation and Rabbi Shlakesh is second generation. Rabbi Shlakesh is a favored Palestinian Amara in the Bavli. It's also in the Yerushamli. That's what makes my Palestinian Amara. All right, we continue in the Gemara. Aval Imratza But if you want to, you can move, person wants, so they can move their wall back into their own property and then... Then have build a protrusion. <speaking in Hebrew> what happens if a person pulls back his wall, and then he doesn't build a protrusion? Could he later? Does that establish a fact, or could he later go back and build a protrusion? Rabbi <speaking> Yochanan <in Hebrew> says, if a person pulled his wall back, so later he can build a protrusion because. It's still in his property. Reish Lakish says, "No, if he pulls it back, he can't build a protrusion later because he's established a set of facts, and people walking down the Rashutzah Abim are already used to the fact that 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 wall, that part of the property which is outside the wall, is kind of for public usage, and therefore, if I go by on my uh, camel or my horse cart." I'm not, I, I, I don't take into account that there could be some thing, some overhang that could uh, hit me in the face. Right. So this is kind of like, so in other words, like we've started getting used to using that extra foot and a half of whatever it is at the end of the plant, which is like the maitzerim, like right? the boundaries of a field which are open for public use and not necessarily belonging to the owner of the field. Amrele, okay, we continue. Amreley Rabyakov le Rabirmiabah. So Rabyakov said to Rabirmiablifa, Azbra Lach Laho Tsi Kuliamalo Plugi Pligi Demotzi, ki plegi lahzirk talim lim coman. So I will argue the following. Everybody agrees that if you put your wall in and then you didn't build a protrusion, later on you could build a protrusion. The question is only whether or not you can return the wall to its place. And, and there are those, okay, and then there are those who say, who hand down the original back and forth with Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish by saying Reb Yochanan actually is the one who says that you cannot return. And here we're talking now about walls. You cannot return the walls to where they were. Lakish amar makzir, Raish Lakish says you can return the walls to where they were. Rabbiochan to Mishum Rabbi Yochan says you cannot return the walls to where they were because of what Ruby Yehuda said. Yehuda made bo a A border of your the boundary part of your field that we just mentioned that came under the ownership, the chazakah, the usage ownership, the the right of usage of the public, you're not allowed to. Rabbi Re- says you're not allowed to destroy that, right? So, if, if everybody's using the borderline, the border strip of your field as a path, you're not allowed to then put spikes in it, right? Rishlakish Reish Rishlakish says Machzi, Machzir. You're allowed to put your your wall back out. Why? Hani hecha deleka ravcha hecha haika ravcha says where that cuz that's talking about a place where there is no where there's no space. But here we're talking about a place where there's a wide space so that if you put back your walls so it's not going to actually mess up the public in that great way. All right. Lakach chazer. So we go on interrogating the next line in the Mishnah. Lakach u bazizin ugzuztrot haray hi If a person buys a courtyard, and there are already protrusions. So those protrusions are already. he already has a right of ownership on those protrusions, and he doesn't have to get do anything with them. I' naflach Nafla Rav Huna says, and if one of them fell off, so he can actually go back and rebuild it. right? In other words, you can't say it fell off. Ah, oh, now you lost now you lost the the permission Now you lost the right to have it. May Stam quotes another text in order to challenge this. One cannot put kind of whitewash in the outside of the house or mecharin is like carvings and mecharin is a way of finishing the outside stones in this time, in our days. But if he bought a chater, a courtyard, which already was had this kind of whitewashing, or this engraving, or this way of finishing the stones, so that is already established, and he doesn't have to undo it. But if it fell down, he cannot rebuild it in that way. So isura, shining. So that was that. That seemed to challenge Rav Huna who said, and Huna who says that Nafla that if this protrusion or this balcony fell down, you can rebuild it, um, because here he says these types of, of finishing you can't rebuild. So the Gemara says, so the Stam says no, because it's different, because that's a prohibition. Right? There's no prohibition. The only prohibition against building a ziz these protrusions is because it goes into it's not in and of itself a problem here it's in and of itself a problem and why? we're still not up to actually the why a person should not put out the whitewash the outside covering on his house with seed which is this kind of sandy whitewash but if he put if he mixes it together with sand or with grain, then it's okay. So it's kind of a rougher finishing. It's not as beautiful a finishing. If he mixes it together with sand, so then it becomes a different type of mixture called tarxid, and then it is forbidden because it's a nicer mixture. mutar. But if he does it with grain, then it is permitted because it's a rougher type of finishing. And now we're gonna to get to the why. So this is quoting a Tanitic text, a Gadic text, which is actually found in Tosefta Sota. Tosefta Sota, the 15th chapter, number 10. When the temple, when the second temple was destroyed, when the temple was destroyed a second time, there were many, or there grew many people in Israel who were prushin, who who were strict about piety, who refused to eat meat and to drink wine. Nitzpal and it's Rabbi Yeshua. So Yeshua came upon them and he argued with them. Atem um, Ochlin atem shotim my sons, why are you not eating meat nor are you drinking wine. Amrulo, they said to him, shall we eat meat from which was sacrificed upon the altar, but now the altar is gone, is invalidated? Shall we drink wine which was poured upon the altar, which is now gone, now destroyed? So Rabbi Yeshua said back to him, "In Cain, if if that's the if that's your 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 argument, do not we shall not eat bread because the the mincha offerings were which were which were associated with bread, or the other mincha offerings, because they are they have, they have they're gone they're gone. If so maybe we could do it with 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 fruit." Perot lo maybe we should eat fruit. Perot lo nocha, lubi kurim. Perot, we should also not eat fruit because there are no longer first fruit offerings. So maybe we should just do other fruit. Mayim lo nisucha Then we shouldn't drink water because the nisucha mayim, uh, the which is the pouring of the water on the altar, um, is also invalidated. Shatku. So in there, they finally didn't have any answer. On our lands, Rabbi Shura said, hold on a second. B'nai, my children, my sons. Bovo o'mar I will come, I will tell you. Come here, I will tell you. Not to mourn at all is impossible because it has already been ordained that we must mourn over the destruction of the Temple. But to mourn, Too much, overmuch, is also impossible because, and impossible here we mean wrong, because one does not ordain an ordinance on the community, which most of the community cannot uphold. Because it says in the verse, you are cursing, and when you curse me, you are cursing the whole nation. But the sages said thus, and this is our connection back to our previous line. Um, the sages said, a person whitewashes his house and he leaves a little bit. And how much does he leave? And this is the Stam's um, commentary on the Tosefta. Amar of Yosef, Amar Petach. Yosef says, a cubit by a cubit, 18 inches by 18 inches, and Amar Chista says, just opposite the front door, you have to leave unfinished. And then back says, the Barmuat. A person does everything he that is needed for the meal, for the feast, and he leaves over a little thing. he. in the stam says, What what is the thing that he leaves over? Papa Papa says a little one of these little fishes. They appear, they play a cameo in Shabbat, for example. What's the least thing that you can eat on Shabbat and have a feast? It's a casa de harsana a woman should wear all of her jewelry, but she leaves out a little thing. What is a little thing? Rab says like an earring. Right? If I forget Jerusalem, my right hand should be forgotten. My tongue will cleave to the roof of my mouth if I do not put Jerusalem at the Rosh Simchati, at the head of my, my, my joy. My Rosh Simchati. So what does Rosh Simchati mean? Rav Yitzchak says this is putting ashes on the head of bridegrooms. So Rav Papa says to Abaya, where do you put the ashes? I mean, that's the whole question. Where do you put the ashes? at the place where you put the Tfilim Shnemar Lasum Tachat to do it to put on the mourners of Zion so that they will have Per instead of Per which is glory, instead of Afer which is ashes. And all who mourn over Jerusalem will ultimately see its joy. As it says, rejoice, Jerusalem. So that's where we get, so that's all these mourning practices around Jerusalem. Tanya, and it says further in that Bright, actually earlier in the Bright, and the Bright of this part comes first. Amar Rabbi Yishmael Ben Alisha, Rabbi Ben, Alisha, say, amikdash, din hu basar ben said, Ben from the day that the temple was destroyed, it is it is appropriate, right? We should, that we should ordain on ourselves not to eat meat and not to drink wine. But we cannot ordain an ordinance on the community, which most of the community cannot uphold. And from the day that the evil kingdom spread out and ordained various ordinances, evil ordinances and difficult ordinances, and stopped us from learning Torah and keeping the commandments, and does not allow us to gather together for the week of the sun, meaning the seven days leading up to the Brit Milah, the circumcision on the eighth day, the Amrilayli Yeshua Ben, and some people call it Yeshua Ben, the salvation of the sun. We should say, that uh, it would be appropriate that we would ordain on ourselves not to marry and have children, and then it would end up that the seed of Abraham, our father, was destroyed by itself. But rather, leave Israel alone, and it's better that they would would sin or they would they would transgress by accident. And not transgress premeditatedly. In other words, we should do some of these things, but most of the people can't do these things, so we will not make it into an actual ordinance. There's great wisdom here, but it, their wisdom goes in two different ways. One saying that, well, you have to be moderate, right? You have to, you have to know that there, you know, you can't think bad things happen, terrible things happen. And therefore, the instinctive reaction is to cry out and say, cry, cry out and act in such a way as to completely protest those actions. Right. To say, to go full force and say, we're not going to have children. We're not going to eat meat. We're not going to drink wine. We're going to destroy ourselves because the temple was destroyed. And the moderate says, no, you can't do that because people can't actually do that. Let's do something symbolic. The other way of reading this, which I think is deeper here, is that actually we have to play the long game. If we run right into the the mouth of the the tiger, we'll get eaten. But if we play the long game and we recall and we remember that actually we are mourning for the destruction of the temple, right? If we recall and we remember the injustices until the moment at which we can repair the injustices. So that is playing the long game. That's a much more powerful move. And it's like the Midrash about, and this is topical with Pesach coming up, this Midrash that Miriam said to her, that Miriam's father, Amram, left Miriam's mother. Midrash that says that and says that Miriam's father left Miriam's mother because Pharaoh ordained that all, right in the first chapter, and second chapter of Shemot of Exodus, that the, that, all children who all male children who are born to the Israelites will be thrown in the sea. Will be killed, right? And so Mir, uh, Miriam's father Amram said to Miriam's mother Yehoved, you know what? So therefore, I'm going to leave you. We're not going to have any children because why should we? Why should we birth children to death? And Miriam ran after Amram and said, "What are you doing? You're being worse than Pharaoh, because Pharaoh just said that." condemned all male children. You're condemning both male and female children. But actually we have to have faith and we have to have children and we have to have faith that those children will lead to liberation. And of course, Amram and Yocheved gave birth to Moses who started the liberation. So we have to have faith. It's also wonderful. I remember Valerie Carr says that when we were, I think it's her, when we were they thought they buried us, they didn't realize we were seeds. There's actually a midrash that says that there's a whole story of how the women seduced the men so that they would have children, so that they would grow up that they would grow up for liberation, but the children, they planted the children in the ground, and the ground took care of them. And then they grew in the ground and then they took them home as 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 adults so that they would bypass the Egyptian guards. Right? It's a wonderful fact. But that's the notion of When they plant, when they tried to bury us, they didn't realize we were seeds and we grew. And I think that that's part of this wisdom here, talking about the fact that we should not stop living. We should go on living, but we have to nurture that longing for liberation within us. Whether we call that liberation the temple, whether we call that liberation going out of Egypt, going out of the the narrow places, whether we call that liberation, liberation, justice for all. We have to constantly nurture it. And even though we can't get everything tomorrow, we have to realize that it is the long game which we are playing. And and ultimately, we are going to get there only if we get there together. Salka Pirka. We have finished this chapter. Yay! It's been a pleasure. Okay. So, uh, at the end of every chapter, we have a siyum, the details of which have not been totally worked out yet, so next week we'll probably continue with the fourth chapter, and then we'll do our little siyum uh, interview later on when I get my act together. But it's been a pleasure going through this chapter with you, and I hope you join us for next chapter. My name is Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. That's I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T, Irmiklat. I want to thank, of course my wonderful producer, Ellie Unger-Sargon, whose patience is boundless. Check out his podcast, for Cubits, with Jeff Helmreich, in which they are discussing important issues of the day right now, talking about racism, anti-racism, anti-blackness, and the like, from a philosophical perspective. I want to thank, of course, my wonderful Havruta, Charlotte von Robert, and the Communications and Strategic Development Department of Daf Shui, Shachar Hodas, who is responsible for the wonderful logo, the wonderful Daf Shui logo. Thank you. If you want to send correspondence, comments, criticisms, and witticisms, which are most highly prized, send them to thewidowandthebrothers at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure to host you for this time, a little longer than usual in our Beit Midrash in the closet. Stay safe, stay healthy. Chag Sameach. Let's hope that this next year really brings liberation.